You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. Most of us don't think about or even realize how platforms affect us daily, but they've completely changed our lives. You use platforms anytime you go online to use social media or to shop or when you click on an app on your phone. The platform gathers data about your habits to customize and improve your next experience. Facebook, Uber, YouTube, and eBay are just a few examples of well-known popular platform networks. And these networks are creating new markets where for the first time, consumers can also become producers through repeated use and feedback. It's revolutionized the producer-consumer relationship in business, and now platforms could completely revolutionize education as well. So today we're sharing an interview Tom recently had with Sangeet Chowdhury, founder of Platformation Labs and the author of Platform Scale and Platform Revolution. Sangeet specializes in platform economics, network effects, and the digital transformation of business models. And his work on platforms was selected by the Harvard Business Review as one of the top 10 management ideas globally in 2016-2017. Let's listen in to Tom and Sangeet's chat as he provides his definition of platforms and how he became fascinated with platforms in the first place. Welcome to the Getting Smart podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Sangeet's the founder of Platformation Labs and is a best-selling author of Platform Scale and recently Platform Revolution. Uh, Sangeet, let's start with a, a definition of platform. What? How do you think of a, a definition of a platform? Yeah, that's a that's a, a, a good uh, starting question because uh, the word platform is one of those terms that is. Uh, highly confused and conflated and used in very different contexts. Um, Originally, in the developer community, the word platform was used to describe an abstraction of software that made it easy to rebuild new applications. Um, When I use the word platform, I I take it a a step beyond that to also include the idea of a platform as an organizing principle for an ecosystem of participants around it. if we bring these two things together, uh, the idea of the infrastructure and the idea of the platform as an organizing principle, um, the way I would define a platform is a platform is an infrastructure that allows multiple participants to come together and interact with each other. And it is also a set of governance mechanisms that ensure that the interactions that ensue create value for every participant so that they want to keep participating uh, around the platform. Uh, that's uh, that's those are the two key elements of a platform: the infrastructure and the governing mechanisms. Great, and those are um, they're super important. And and as our friend Scott Beck uh, points out frequently, small changes in those uh, governing mechanisms or in that ecosystem can make the difference between platforms that win and lose. Right. That's right. And the reason for that is that platforms internalize feedback loops within the ecosystem. Uh, What that means is that for every action that I perform, the platform uh, scales my ability to keep performing that action through a variety of mechanisms. For example, just look at the Facebook newsfeed. The more I interact with the Facebook newsfeed, the more I get hooked on and want to keep and 
keep interacting with the news feed and that happens because facebook gathers data about me and uses my interactions to shape further the interactions and make them even more relevant and engaging for me because of these feedback loops that accelerate my participation on the platform any change to the governance mechanism any change to the incentive structure will also move into this feedback loop and get magnified and amplified over time and that is the reason uh, that uh, we need to be very careful about designing these governance mechanisms when we are uh, building a platform and also very careful about changing uh, policies and the way uh, the platform rewards its participants over time so i want to come back to that but where where in the world did your interest in platforms come from so around uh, uh, around 5 years back a little over 5 years back i uh, i started looking at understanding why certain startups were succeeding and certain startups were failing and this stemmed from the fact that i was uh, uh, running merger and acquisitions for um, uh, uh, a software company in the valley at that point and uh, in the course of figuring out which startups were succeeding and which startups were failing i started seeing this a fundamental shift towards a new business model among startups to start with and the more i looked into it the more i dug into it i realized uh, as i ex- expanded the data set that i was looking at i realized that the shift was more fundamental than just a trend among startups it was something that would impact every part of the economy and once i started looking at that uh, uh, side of it and started seeing elements in healthcare in Uh, finance a lot of which today is being done in the form of fintech or in the in the form of uh, other forms of disruption in healthcare when i started seeing those things i realized that there was a much more fundamental shift that was uh, um, coming over so it really started by by scratching my own itch around understanding uh, what's really happening what's changing and then um, digging uh, further to understanding how broad and horizontal that that change was and that's that's where it started and from there it's uh, it's had its own set of uh, feedback loops and uh, you know abstractions to keep on understanding the the next level of details and and that's what's uh, built out my work around platforms so in your new book uh, platform revolution you describe how platforms beat pipelines what what do you mean by that so when i first started talking about platforms uh, people felt it was either an airbnb uber thing that i was talking about or uh, it was something that was not horizontal enough or not relevant enough for everyone to understand and so to to counter that problem i wanted to uh, to to demonstrate how wide ranging the implications were i wanted to contrast it with the dominant model of business the dominant model of business has always been this linear vertical integration driven model of business that if you want to uh, gain greater power you integrate forward or backward al- along your value chain what platforms allow you to do is instead of integrating forward or backwards they just allow you they just require you to own a thin slice and allow everybody else to integrate with you and this distinction was what helped people begin to understand why platforms were important so to bring this distinction out i coined one uh, model of expansion as the pipeline model of expansion where you 
keep owning more of the pipeline that value is flowing through and the other where you try where you stop trying to own the value in this way and you own a thin layer around which uh, value accumulates which is the platform model of uh, right. uh, business and so maybe that's a, that's uh, the and maybe a new example of that might be slack right a super thin messaging app that's just exploded and changed the way business communication works Absolutely. There are three examples in particular that I, I am looking at very closely, which, which are doing exactly what you mentioned, or rather four examples. One is Slack, which is doing it for the enterprise. Uh, the other is Alexa, uh, which is uh, trying to do it for the smart connected home. Again, a very thin layer and connecting on both sides, uh, on the consumer side as well as the uh, on the provider side through APIs with multiple uh, uh, partners. Uh, the third is WeChat. WeChat, again, in, in uh, the popular messaging app in China, is just a very thin layer on which everything else is coming on board. And potentially, the fourth could be Snapchat, uh, which uh, at this point in time seems like the only likely uh, challenge to what Facebook is doing in, in social. Right. So these are four com companies that I'm following very closely because they... Uh, keep getting stronger despite remaining thin, uh, which is a which is a model that Google and uh, Facebook haven't really followed after starting very thin. So uh, that's those are those are four fascinating companies to follow. You're listening to the Getting Smart podcast, and today Tom is speaking with Sangeet Chowdhury, founder of Platformation Labs and author of several books on platforms. If you're enjoying this episode, be sure to listen to McGraw-Hill's Stephen Laster in Season 2, Episode 22, as he discusses the platform revolution in technology. And check out Season 2, Episode 25 as well with Zoran Popovich, where he and Tom discuss computer science, gaming, virtual reality, and how we can help today's students be successful using artificial intelligence. You'll find these podcasts on our iTunes channel, along with over 50 additional episodes featuring ed leaders speaking on topics ranging from social and emotional learning to the global skills gap to high-quality project-based learning. While you're there, be sure to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And we'd love it if you consider sharing our podcast with others via whatever social networks you use. Let's get back to this podcast, though, where Tom and Sangeet discuss what network benefits are the important role machine intelligence will play in the future of platforms, and what will need to take place in order for the platform revolution to fully take effect in education. You talk at length in your book about network benefits as being a, a key advantage of platforms. What What's a network benefit? Um, a network effect uh, that... The network effect that I talk about, the the, the single uh, easiest way of understanding the network effect is to look at the telephone, right. uh, where the telephone as a standalone product has no value, but the more telephones that get connected with each other, the more the value increases. We've seen this form of a networked uh, value creation for many different utilities in the past, but what's different about the internet is that it allows two things that were not uh, provided by these other uh, networked utilities in the past. The first thing is that the internet, apart from being a network in itself, is also a platform of platforms on which any number of additional platforms and networks can be created. So on top of internet, you can have Facebook. On top of Facebook, you can have Zynga. And so you can keep on uh, building that stack and keep on creating a new network at every level, which benefits from the underlying network. So the the ability to benefit from the network effect in the age of the internet 
expands dramatically and that's why uh, you'll see entrepreneurs always trying to see what is the next connectivity that is being created by the internet today there's a lot of uh, excitement around the internet of things for example because that's another uh, networked connectivity or around autonomous cars these are all new ways in which new things are being connected to the internet um, the second thing uh, that makes the network effects on the internet more powerful than on the telephone is the creation and accumulation of persistent value in two forms one is in the form of data the telephone never got smarter the more you talked but the internet gets smarter the more you use it because it accumulates data about you and about other people like you and uh, the second and in addition to data the other way in which it accumulates value is in the form of content uh, the telephone for example allowed content to be transmitted between two parties but it, that content would not help uh, the larger base of telephone users but if you look at youtube if i share the video with you that video could then be uh, useful for many other people as well and so uh, it is these two things the fact that the internet is a platform of platforms and the fact that value gets accumulated these two things increase uh, the network effect which is that as more people use it more value gets created right. uh, for all the other people using it it gets better as it gets bigger that's right, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about value creation. This is another important benefit. Um, you, you describe ways that platform unlock new sources of value. That's right. Yes. Uh, there, are, uh, there are two ways that platforms unlock new sources of value. Uh, one is that they could take existing value and remove the friction. Um, and a classic example of that is the publishing industry, where uh, the friction of getting a book published was so high that uh, many people who had written books were just, uh, uh, they had a lot of rejection uh, letters lying around. Now, Amazon with Kindle publishing allows all of that uh, to see the light of day. Uh, so that's value that had already been created but was not seeing the market. The other way platforms unlock value is by, by virtue of the fact that they create a market for the first time and hence create producers for the first time. A, a great example of that is Airbnb. The very fact that it is possible to rent out a spare room to somebody out there uh, makes me a producer. Whereas in the past, I would not even have thought of it as uh, a source of supply on, on a market. And so these are two ways in which platforms unlock value repeatedly. One thing that we uh, saw at scale in 2016 is that, um, well, two, two things, I guess, that the most valuable companies in the world all run platforms, uh, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, um, and all of them uh, increasing, increasingly use uh, machine intelligence uh, to improve uh, the value of the customer interaction. Machine intelligence is uh, is a natural uh, is a natural fit to the core value proposition of platforms because the the central goal that the platform tries to accomplish is match supply with demand and make markets more efficient. Uh, it it is this orchestration, this 
repeated matching of supply with demand, reducing uh, the, the, the search efforts, making discovery easier, making personalization easier, all of which is driven by data and is driven by learning. Now, what we are beginning to see is that machine intelligence helps this in two ways. Uh, to start with, if you want to match supply with demand, you need to have data in the system in the first place. And secondly, once you have data in the system, you need to be able to leverage it well. What machine intelligence does is it not only leverages data even better because you're constantly learning. It's it's no longer, uh, the learning is no longer linear with the amount of data coming in. It's exponential. Uh, it's not only that it helps with that, because of the learning uh, loops involved, it also obviates the need for new data to come in. And that's what we're starting to see uh, in many different examples. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, Google's DeepMind, which played Jeopardy, it was trained in a way where uh, the, the game was allowed to play itself instead of relying on external data sets. The game learned from itself. And in a similar way, platforms can also improve their intelligence by just learning from the existing data sets instead of requiring users to constantly input new data sets. And that's, an, that's incredibly powerful because the, the, while information and data, while information and content are, uh, are reasonably abundant, getting users to keep performing new actions to give you more data is, is the scarce uh, commodity on a platform. And so if you can create more learning without encouraging users to, without requiring users to input more data, without creating new behavior design schedules to get that data, then uh, your ability to scale becomes uh, user independent. And that uh, brings even more power back to you as a platform and away from the ecosystem. So from that perspective, uh, I feel that machine intelligence will play a really important role in the future of platforms. The, the other thing that uh, this also shows uh, is that even though there's a lot of talk about the democratization of AI and the democratization of uh, intelligence in general, uh, there is still a very compelling case for the fact that the biggest platforms will also be the biggest AI companies. The biggest platforms have the biggest data sets. They are the ones who have the most compelling social behaviors. They are the ones with the largest ecosystem of data gathering interfaces. And these will, over time, uh, while they scale because of network effects today, there'll be this additional scaling factor of machine learning because their data sets and the ability for the data sets to teach themselves will keep increasing uh, over time. And so uh, this accumulation of power with a few companies is likely to keep increasing in the, in the days ahead. I, I, want, uh, I want to conclude by talking about platforms and learning, but before we do that, it it's worth noting that the fall of 2016 um, also showed us some uh, maybe unintended consequences of platforms. Uh, some of us that are platform enthusiasts hope that platforms would result in uh, an informed confluence of um, sort of inarguable facts that would lead to a more informed citizenry. And, and unfortunately, we saw in the fall kind of the opposite of that. And what are your thoughts on fake news and these sort of information gullies that have been created on platforms? Um, it's, an, it's an interesting thought because uh, we've, we've seen uh, that as any form of network increases, the ability to 
quote unquote hack the network by ironically playing by its rules also increases right. so we've seen this in in the past and uh, one of the earliest examples of this is how when email started becoming popular spam also became really popular but because uh, initial spam was easy to train on uh, we countered that with spam filters fairly early on it becomes much more complex when we talk about social networks where you have real users taking decisions about how things uh, spread but even in these cases Uh, the perpetrators of fake news are doing is they are playing according to the rules of the platform they're playing by the rules of the platform to figure out how to get content to spread even further right. before fake news took hold um, we saw companies doing this legitimately if you look at buzzfeed if you look at upworthy these were companies that figured out how facebook works as a platform figured out how to use that to their advantage and use that to to spread news now at that point it was still legitimate but once that playbook got uh, uh, got formalized to some extent and people started figuring out what it takes to spread on facebook uh, the same thing could be done uh, with fa- with fake news and so that's what happened during uh, uh, during the fall of 2016 uh, in addition to that for any mass action like this to happen you need an underlying um, event that has a significant following that has significant consumption and so the election period helped uh, with that uh, and there were certain other attendant factors like hordes of people in macedonia and other countries who figured out a way to make money of the scheme right. and it's it's a combination of all of these things that made this happen but the key thing is that uh, this pattern of uh, using a platform's governance mechanisms to work against the platform is a very common Uh, theme that emerges across different kinds of platforms and um for in in such scenarios it's important for the platform to own up and figure out how to solve this problem because this is something that happens with every platform we saw this happen uh, to a large extent with google as well when uh, we saw uh, these content fa- farms like demand media come up and just fill fill google uh, uh, top search results with totally irrelevant news items and uh, google responded by changing the seo guidelines changing the algorithm and so that's the kind of response we would expect uh, from other platforms as well uh, in in such a scenario right it just underscores uh, some of your opening comments about the importance of of governance and getting that right and uh, and and being vigilant as uh, use patterns and technology is modified absolutely So let's yes. let's talk about learning. Um learning appears to be uh one of the most promising areas for platforms although it it appears that as is usually the case in edtech it will run 3 or 4 years behind uh consumer technology but I, from reading platform revolution you appear to be optimistic that the platform revolution will come to education, right? Uh, well, well, yes. Uh, you also have to discount the fact that I wrote uh, "Platform Revolution" with two academics, and they're they're hoping that the revolution comes to education. Right. Um, so yes, uh, th- there's. Uh, I-, I believe that that uh, that revolution is going to come to education. There are specific hurdles, though, that are unique to education that right. need to be uh, need to be surmounted. Uh, first, first start. education is 
not as simple as a media business. It's not just about moving content and gaining attention. Right. It's about uh, it's about having uh, impact with that education, but then uh, demonstrating the value of that impact, which today is uh, demonstrated through a certification. So the the uh, incentive for participating in education today is the certification you receive and the tradability of the certification in the open market. Uh, and that's the part where uh, platforms, uh, where education is not just a two-sided platform problem, it's a multi-sided problem where you have to connect the source of education with the receivers of education, but then you have to connect the receivers of education with uh, the, the source of opportunities who will trade that education for uh, a, a good uh, job opportunity in the future. And now, this this whole uh, system is done extremely well by today's education pipeline company, if you will, the Harvards and the MITs of the world. They do this really well uh, because they've, they've just perfected this model over time. However, it is not scalable. Uh, the way they have been trying to scale it has been by opens opening up only one part of this multi-sided problem which is just get the educational material out there and so that's been the MOOC approach to doing it uh, it has had its advantages but it does not solve the entire problem right what I what I believe will be needed to solve the end-to-end -end problem is creating use cases on platforms which are not being satisfied by traditional institutions. For example, uh, right now, over the last two years, there's been a huge spurt for um, there's been a huge spurt in demand for uh, knowledge of self-driving cars um, from an engineering perspective, from a data science perspective. But traditional educational institutions do not have a lot of information about this. To to some extent, because a lot of the research that was done on this was done outside the educational institutions in uh, companies like Google and uh, uh, Uber and other companies uh, out there. So this is an interesting opportunity where supply is constrained, demand has suddenly exploded. This is an interesting opportunity for an education platform to come in and uh, attract that specific kind of supply which can teach this kind of uh, um, material and then also connect the students directly to internships and job opportunities in these uh, companies which are, are uh, which have high demand for this kind of talent right now. Uh, the, the more such cycles that can be completed outside the traditional education system, the more we'll see uh, a movement, a shift towards uh, platform-based models for education. And so I'm, I'm closely looking at uh, use cases of this form that will uh, spin the wheels uh, of, of an alternate platform and help them convert, right. uh, compete with a traditional institution. At a recent conference, you heard my hypothesis that when you combine a platform with a learning model and an, a, a professional development model, yep. um, that you can really create a powerful use case. And that, that really means reinventing student learning and adult learning around a new tool set and that uh, the, the institutions that are doing that appear to really be creating uh, breakthrough learning opportunities. That's right, yes. Um, we're quite optimistic about that, uh, but it, 
it is quite difficult. It is, um, it requires real um, incubation and intermediation to develop those new learning experiences, um, build or customize a platform, and then create adult learning experiences around it. And so it is taking time, it is taking investment for platforms to uh, really transform uh, formal education. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's about getting those two things right simultaneously. And if you, uh, a lot of platforms so far have seen this as uh, uh, let's open out the content problem. And now they're beginning to realize that that's, that's not where the answer lies. Um, to a large extent, this whole MOOC approach to education has been just a pipeline approach. It's just been uh, about moving things from one channel to another. Whereas it's exactly this combination of a learning model and a professional development model that needs to uh, come in together, perhaps to use cases like the self-driving car example I mentioned, that would uh, create an alternate platform to compete with the traditional model. Well, it's an exciting time. I, I uh, look forward to having other conversations with, uh, with you, Sangeet, about learning platforms and education. Um, we, we really appreciate your work. Platform Revolution is a really important book that's helped us all understand better what's happening. Um, but it, it's, it's clear as we begin 2017 that we live and learn and shop on platforms. Absolutely. And I, I look forward to having this, these discussions as well. I think uh, um, education in particular is, is poised for a lot of change in the coming uh, two to three years. So uh, definitely an, an interesting time. Sangeet Paul Chaudhry, uh, thanks for being on the Getting Smart podcast. Thank you, Tom. Thanks to Sangeet for sharing his expertise with us for this podcast, to Tom for the great interview, and as always to Andrew Luck for mixing it and making it sound so good. Be sure to check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, subscribe and rate us. For more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog as well at gettingsmart.com and follow us on Twitter at getting underscore smart. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Kat signing off. <laughs>